The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Welcome to the third and final hour of uh, AM Live, and uh, this section is uh, the Forum at 8. It's at uh, 10 minutes uh, past uh, 8, and uh, our top story this hour, uh, we put tuberculosis TB literally under the microscope. Despite the availability of effective anti-tuberculosis treatment, TB remains a major global health problem and is still the number one cause of death here in South Africa. On the forum at 8 this morning, we ask, why is TB still uh, the leading cause of death in South Africa today? And of course, a position that uh, it has held since uh, 1996. However, the proportion of deaths due to tuberculosis has decreased in the recent past, contributing about 10.7% of deaths. That's, of course, according to Stats and the reading there was uh, of uh, 2011. The global target of uh, eliminating, uh, or rather elimination for TB is 2050. Therefore, uh, an effective uh, TB vaccine remains a critical issue in reducing the TB and HIV-AIDS mortality rates. Welcome to the Forum at 8, and uh, I have uh, with me here in uh, the studio uh, Dr. Nazir Ismail, who is a pathologist and uh, the head of uh, National Tuberculosis Reference Laboratory at the National Health Laboratory Services. Good morning to you, Dr. Ismail. Uh, good morning to you as well, and good morning to the listeners. It's good to have you uh, in studio with us. And uh, we also talked to Dr. Jorgen Pillay, who is the Deputy Director General for HIV, AIDS, TB, and Maternal, Child, and Women's Health at uh, the National Department of Health. Good morning to you, Dr. Pillay. All right, uh, we'll, we'll go back to Dr. Pillay just now. But I also have uh, Graham Briggs, who is the Vice President of the Chamber of uh, Mines, who will be joining us. Uh, in fact, he is uh, with us on the line right now. Uh, Graham Briggs, uh, he is uh, the Vice President of the Chamber of Mines and the CEO at Harmony Gold. Mr. Briggs, good morning to you. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Let's see if uh, Dr. Pillay is on the line. Good morning, Dr. Pillay. All right, all right, we'll go back uh, to, to Dr. Pili. And uh, let, let, let's start with you, uh, uh, Dr. Ismail, here in the studio. I mean, uh, although it has long been acknowledged that uh, the huge burden of a disease due to TB infection is the leading cause of death in our country, the latest report by Stats shows that uh, we are beginning to make progress in this regard, says uh, the Deputy President uh, Halima Motlante. And we know that uh, today also the mining uh, sector is coming together to, to look at this. Uh, he said mine workers were at a particularly high risk of uh, contracting TB because of a convergence of occupational and lifestyle related risk factors. But uh, let's do the ABCs because we, uh, we often uh, overlook this. Uh, what is uh, TB, Dr. Uh, Ismail, and, and really how is it contracted? Okay, so tuberculosis is a um, disease, called by, disease caused by a germ uh, that we call mycobacterium tuberculosis. Uh, the key thing that differs uh, from other germs is that this um, uh, bug can be transmitted through the air. Uh, therefore, people sharing the same spaces, especially in overcrowded conditions, are at a greater risk for acquiring uh, this form of infection. Uh, the other important thing for people to understand about tuberculosis is that uh, the other difference with compared to other infectious diseases is that um, it's a balance of the infection versus a patient's immunity. Uh, so we know that a lot of people are infected with tuberculosis globally, and the estimate is about one in three people globally have tuberculosis infection. Um, 
uh, but they have what we call latent tuberculosis, meaning that meaning that um, the infection is sitting quietly in the body and the immune system has managed to control it. Mm. Uh, but the key issue is uh, those that progress from the sleeping form of TB to an active form of TB where they start being symptomatic with tuberculosis. Uh, and that's when they start transmitting the disease, especially if they have higher bacillary loads of the germ. Uh, and that's essentially what we're dealing with in South Africa, that uh, we have a high background rate of latent infection, but the bigger issue is that a lot of people with underlying immune deficiencies have uh, progressed onto active disease mm. and therefore transmitting it to uh, people that are close to them as well. And uh, the epidemic continues to roll on. And, and how does it spread? Okay, so essentially, uh, like I mentioned, it's spread through the air, uh, but the key difference is that uh, it, it's uh, strongly dependent on the amount of time you spend with someone mm. and the amount of ventilation in that space that you share. Uh, so therefore, the risk areas obviously traditionally are home. So if you had an infected relative that you're staying with, so you have prolonged contact with that person, uh, and therefore uh, you have a greater risk of uh, being infected and therefore acquiring active disease. Uh, but also in the work environment, and that's why we, you know, you look at healthcare workers uh, at uh, increased risk as well because they're in constant exposure to the um, to the bug as such in the air. Okay, it's important for us to establish the ABCs really of uh, tuberculosis. But uh, let's welcome on the line right now, Dr. Aaron Musaledi, Health Minister here in South Africa. Good morning to you, Dr. Musaledi. Good morning, Bongi, and good morning to the listeners. Always a pleasure talking to you. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, let, let me just go, go, go to you, Dr. Nzoledi, because uh, you're not only just uh, the health minister, but you are a, a medical doctor yourself. Just uh, talk us through the, the, the signs and, uh, and symptoms of uh, tuberculosis. Well, there are quite a number of signs and symptoms, but the ones that commonly occur, which we teach people about, is that when, when, when they've got cough, persistent cough, you know, for, for more than two weeks in, without any signs of, of, of improvement, when they've got night sweats, you know, when they sweat during the night, when they've got chest pains, when they've got loss of appetite, and when they started losing weight. This is particularly important, Bongi, for children because... The signs are very difficult in children. So when any child loses weight and seems to be losing appetite, people must think of TB. So those five signs, we have actually produced balls, you know, football balls, which we are distributing at schools to youngsters. We have distributed about half a million of those where we have written all those five symptoms for kids to read at school and go and tell their parents at home. Hmm. And, and, and I want to engage you, Minister, uh, at policy level, really. Uh, what is uh, South Africa doing about this? Because uh, it's prevalent here in South Africa. It's the leading cause of death uh, this uh, day and age, really. Are we taking uh, tuberculosis uh, seriously? Are we giving it the status that it deserves so that we deal with it uh, head on, here in South Africa in particular? Well, Bongi, let me start with the whole world. Because we concentrate on South Africa, yes, it's our country, but I want to tell you that this problem is global. Let me start there. In the whole world, there, there are 22 countries that are carrying 80% of the TB of the world. All the five BRIC countries fall within that 22, the, the five BRIC countries, and of course that includes South Africa. SR5 are the countries that also include South Africa. This is because, Bongi, you see, science or doctors have thought we have defeated TB. 
over uh, 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 the past 50 years, we thought, look, we've been living with TB, we know about it, and uh, we can control it. But with the advent of HIV and AIDS, when HIV AIDS came on the scene, everything changed. And you know, the, 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 the HIV, the prevalence of HIV AIDS in South Africa is the highest in the world. That's why we found ourselves in this space, because HIV and AIDS and TB come sort of killing each other. Mm. Uh, uh, the co-infection rate is actually 63%. What it means is 53% of the people who have got TB actually are HIV positive. I was just listening to somebody there, I think it's a doctor, who told you that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balance between the infection and your immune response. When your immunity goes down, then you are likely to get TB. And you know the immunity of people with HIV and AIDS. But after turning the corner, in the HIV AIDS epidemic in South Africa, after putting the biggest treatment program in the world, that's why we are starting to win the battle. And that's what State South Africa has showed in their figures last week, that in 2006, for instance, there were 613,000 deaths of some TB. They are now down to 505. They are coming down very fast. Okay. Because of the problems you are having, yes. All right. Uh, I'm going to try and mix issues here because uh, I know that uh, Graham Briggs will be leaving us shortly. He is the Vice President of the Chamber of Mines and the CEO of Harmony Gold. Mr. Briggs, uh, TB is, is, is prevalent in, in the mining uh, community there. Just talk us through what you are doing as, uh, as the mining community, really, because also you, you're reliant on, on migrant workers who come here and then they go back home and they spread uh, uh, TB. Yes, um, there's several uh, programs that I think the mining companies have been doing, and um, you know, if I can say the mining companies have been quite successful in their individual programs. However, TB, as you rightly point out, is not just a local mine issue. And therefore, the biggest area that uh, we've been focusing on in the last few years has been cooperation. And that is cooperation with uh, communities around the mines, uh, cooperation with governments in uh, in doing, you know, setting up standards, uh, sharing information, and and the like, and that in that way we can tackle TB as a national or even a regional issue, um, because as uh, your previous speakers have been pointing out, uh, you know, it is airborne and uh, it is easy to infect uh, others should you have TB, TB and it's not treated. So um, that's been one of the major focuses. There are other areas which we've been focusing on. Um, there's obviously a, a relevance here to HIV, um, uh, voluntary testing, counseling of people, um, getting people on medication, which will, um, in order, reduce their susceptibility to getting TB. Um, dust control in the mines has been a big issue. And uh, so there are lots of programs on these issues um, dominated really on the gold mining sector because that is the sector that's really had the worst TB infection. But do you see mine workers voluntarily ta taking up those tests really or do you have to run, run strong campaigns to uh, encourage them to, 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 be t to get tested? Look, uh, I think some of the um, areas there has been resistance, and uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, when it gets to HIV, I think there's been a lot of resistance. However, you know, I, with the minister yesterday was at um, 
at uh, Fochwell at uh, one of the stadiums, and um, several of the companies had voluntary uh, uh, testing on blood level, blood sugar, um, hearts, and all that sort of thing. And there were long queues of people uh, volunteering to be tested. So I think the, um, the tides of change are happening. All right, uh, we'll, we'll continue with this. Uh, Graham Briggs is uh, the Vice President uh, at the Chamber of uh, Mines, and uh, I'll be taking your calls on 0891-104-208. We have uh, Dr. Aaron Solid on the line as well, uh, who is the Minister of uh, Health, and with him really want to explore the issue of policy and what is being done by the South African government. And also I know that he sits on the, the board that deals with uh, the SADC countries there. And I have uh, Dr. Nazir Ismail here in the studio with me, a pathologist and head of uh, National Tuberculosis Reference Lab at NHLS. Hi, can I update my... Sure. Hi, Mrs. R. Sorry, Science Project. Okay. Really need to make a call. Go on. Hi, Joe from Telcom. You called 10213? Guys, it's for you. Come get your own broadband so you can do what you're doing at your own homes. Pay a visit to the leader in fixed broadband. Call 10213. Go to telcom.co.za or visit your nearest telcom store. Conditions apply. 3 a.m. Phone Minister of Finance to fast track funds application. 7 a.m. Send driver to pick up luxury car. 9 a.m. Arrive at donor breakfast in style. 11 a.m. Ignore phone calls. 1 p.m. Take just one call about a service protest which has turned violent. 3 p.m. Arrive at violent protest in style. 4 p.m. Speed away from violence. Get a behind-the-scenes look at selfish politicians, dedicated politicians, and the communities at their mercy in the drama series 90 Plain Street, Tuesdays at 9.30 p.m. only on SABC2. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 0891-104-208, we asking this hour, why is TB still the leading cause of death in South Africa? Let's go to Limpopo and say good uh, good morning to Dr. Nemutandani. Uh, Dr. Nemutandani, really the relationship between uh, Western and traditional medicines, what do you see in Limpopo? Well, uh, good morning to the listeners. What we see in Limpopo is that we are now um, developing the relationship between traditional health practitioners or what they were used to be called sangomas in the past so that they are able to refer patients that present with these symptoms and signs to the health facilities. For the past five years I have been working with traditional healers in the various districts of Limpopo but what we have found is that they were not really integrated within the health system in such a way that they are able to refer the patient. I mm. think the minister will be aware that most of our patients, they first consult traditional healers for various symptoms. Sometimes they will be going there with the understanding that it's ancestors or whatever, but the training and the workshop that we have developed together with the Foundation of Professional Development and the University of Pretoria uh, is that we want to train these traditional healers to be part of a health system delivery in South Africa. Okay. The results so far, most of the Sangomas or traditional healers, as they are called now, they have changed their perception so that they are now slowly being accepted in the facilities when they are referring these patients. 
Okay. We thank you very much, uh, Dr. Nemutandan. We'll come to you, Minister, just now. But let me uh, bring in uh, Dr. Ismail here. Uh, at the labs, uh, what, are you, what are you seeing, uh, Dr. Dr. Ismail, really? You hear of, uh, in Limpopo, for instance, that, that people first consult traditional leaders because of, of various issues. And uh, late, later on, when, when the disease has, has, has taken shape, then they, they get referred to, to the... At the labs, what, what, what do you see? Okay, so I think uh, what you've mentioned is very true is um, from the laboratory perspective, it's dependent on patients presenting. So it's more a passive process rather than an active process. Uh, but in terms of the, the cases that we identify through a laboratory confirmation, which is quite important uh, because TB can masquerade as many different things and you need some confirmation, uh, the, the distribution across South Africa is quite varied. And when I think of South Africa and I think of the nine provinces, we're actually talking of almost like nine different countries. Uh, if you compare Western Cape, you're comparing Limpopo, you're comparing Northern Cape, you're comparing KwaZulu-Natal, uh, very different environments. And in terms of the burden of disease, uh, obviously it's driven a lot by um, urbanization and mm. where most of your population lies. Uh, so the, 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 the provinces that carry most of the burden within South Africa is predominantly uh, KwaZulu-Natal, you've got Gauteng, you've got Western Cape and Eastern Cape. And those are the four major provinces with uh, most of the burden of TB. Mm. However, I think what also is often uh, forgotten, not realized, uh, is that although Northern Cape, uh, we don't see large numbers coming out of that province, but the reality is there's only a million people in Northern Cape. So when we actually correct for that, looking at the actual rates per 100,000 population that's been, uh, that has the disease in different provinces, uh, Northern Cape actually has one of the highest rates of, of TB in the country. Uh, but obviously the population was smaller and the numbers are much smaller. Okay. So, so it is quite varied. All right, uh, uh, Dr. Tatumosidi, I want uh, the Minister uh, uh, Aron to hear your story, but uh, I know that uh, Mr. Briggs has to leave right now. So let me bring you in, uh, Mr. Graham Briggs, uh, just uh, your final word really about what is happening in the mining sector. I know that uh, Deputy President Khaloma Mutlante and the Minister uh, today uh, will be launching or will be talking about a Stop TB partnership ca- uh, uh, campaign uh, and so on. But just, just talk us through as your final word, as your parting shot, really, really, what is happening in mining and how can we then deal with the issue of uh, TB in mining? Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the areas that one has to really look at is the results of uh, what we've been doing in the last while. And the results are uh, certainly in, in my company, which is Harmony, uh, that uh, the you know TB incidents have halved in the last five years. Now, um, that, of course, comes off a very high base. So we need to um, redouble our efforts on improving it, um, improving the statistics, improving the treatments, and uh, improving our efforts on working together. And, uh, and that's really what the mining companies are committing to. Sure. Um, and, and really... Um, this sort of concerted efforts on uh, working with governments, working with uh, communities and so on is, is really going to help now that uh, we really focus on the broader issues and, uh, and help okay. all help each other because this is a, a, a country problem. Mr. Briggs, you may want to stay on just a little long, uh, longer because uh, Franz Valen here, the General Secretary of NUM, uh, wants to, to put something uh, to you. Mr. Balen, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, uh, Bongi, um, and thank you to, to your listeners and the panel. Um, earlier on, I think when you talked to uh, Mr. Uh, Briggs um, about 
gold mining in particular, I think we need to indicate that one of the reasons why there was this high level of spread, it was due to single-sex hostels, which used to accommodate about 25 people in, at one point uh, in a room. I stayed in a room where there was a person who was coughing permanently. It's just fortunate that I never contracted uh, a TB. Secondly, uh, there's maybe no proper prevention mechanism, as well as awareness. I started in mining in 1979. I never had any education about TB in the mining industry. But on a way forward, what we need to do is to actually uh, increase the testing facilities, especially ex-miners. We have an abundance of ex-mine workers in the rural areas in the neighboring countries who have not even know that they've got this uh, 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 disease. All right. Thank you very much, Franz Baleni. And, of course, there you have it, mining houses. Put your money where your mouth is. Thank you very much also to Mr. Graham Briggs, who is uh, the vice president of the Chamber of Mines and the CEO at uh, How Many Gold He Has to Live Right Now. And uh, we're talking to Dr. Aaron Mutswale, the health minister here in South Africa, and uh, Dr. Nazir Ismail, pathologist and head of uh, National Tuberculosis Reference Lab at uh, National Health Laboratory Services. And uh, we'll be talking uh, shortly to Dr. Mosidi and uh, Siabule. It's 8.30, time for the news headlines. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Welcome back. It's uh, 24 minutes uh, to 9. We asked this morning, why is the TB still the leading cause of death in uh, South Africa? Mr. Briggs uh, from uh, the Chamber of Mines, you didn't want to go uh, before you, you respond to Mr. Franz Balen. Very briefly, please. For sure. Yes, um, I think uh, Mr. Bellini raised some valid points. Um, one of the things that we're really trying to do is modernize all the hostels. And uh, the aim is by the end of this calendar year that we will have de-densified hostels or modified them to the extent that we only have one person per room. And, uh, and that will mean that uh, obviously you'll be able to live in environments where you don't have somebody coughing next to you. Okay. Um, another another area is uh, looking at UV lighting in, in places where we meet. Um, UV lighting essentially sterilizes the uh, environment and, and prevents that spread of, of, the, uh, of the disease. Um, dust control is another big one that we are focusing on. Um, the Chamber has a MOSH program, a, a mine health and safety type program, on eliminating and reducing the dust in the working areas, and okay. of course, that is what creates the silicosis, which of course is aggravated in in people who have uh, TB. All right, we thank so you. there are a, a great number of programs that we are busy with. All right, okay, we'll talk some more about this, but thank you very much for staying on till roundabout now. You had to leave at half past. Appreciated. Graham Briggs, uh, Vice President uh, of the Chamber of Mines and the CEO of Harmony Gold. All right, Dr. Tato Mosidi, please talk to us about uh, your situation. You are a practicing doctor, you're at the hospital, and then all of a sudden you realize that uh, you're coughing uh, continuously, and uh, you want to believe that you contracted uh, a TB in your workplace. Um, good morning, Bongi, and good morning to all the listeners. Um, firstly, I'd like to thank you for actually giving me an opportunity to tell me my story. So let me introduce myself. I'm, I'm a medical doctor, as you've already said. I work in the West Rand of Johannesburg, and um, I've worked in various hospitals and institutions um, and a clinic, but most notably, I've also worked in a mining area. Uh, so my story begins uh, mainly last year, and contrary to actually what you said, 
Um, I didn't have any symptoms. I didn't have the common symptoms that people generally know, the weight loss, the night sweats, the persistent coughing. And I woke up this one particular morning and went to the bathroom and I just started having a little cough that morning. And when I noticed um, when I coughed out, it was blood in the basin. So because of my prior medical knowledge, at that moment I... I basically and likely um, suspected it to be TB. And that's when I ran to the hospital and um, got myself tested, had an X-ray, had some blood tests, and more specifically, I had a sputum um, um, that was taken from me. And the following day, that came back, and it showed that uh, um, I had TB. Um, So mainly the reason why I'm I'm telling my story is just to highlight the fact that you know, as medical doctors, as healthcare workers, we are sometimes oblivious to the environment that we work in, and we mm. don't realize that we're very um, exposed to um, bacteria, specifically in this instance, um, TB. Okay. Uh, yes. All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Tato Mosidi, uh, for, for narrating your story there. Dr. Msaledi, I just want to, to, to respond to that uh, health workers really being exposed to, to TB, but also the integration of uh, the systems in Limpopo, talking about uh, traditional uh, healers there and also being part of this, being the first port of call really uh, for many people in that province before they, they go and, and seek uh, help at the hospital or clinic. Yes, Bongi, let me start with health workers. Definitely it is true that health workers are affected. I've met quite a number of doctors and nurses who who have been infected with TB. And we are trying to do something about it uh, uh, because it's an occupational hazard. For instance, in the MDR uh, hospitals, we are using... uh, uh, In 2011, Bongi, we opened nine hospitals, MDR hospitals, where we send these people with drug-resistant TB. We are using technology from the CSIR that is based on ventilation and that is based on spacing so that the health workers are somehow protected. Now, now let me come to the issue of Limpopo. I, I don't really think when you, when you deal with a problem like TB, we should, we should follow what doctor, I don't know, is doctor who from Limpopo. Sure. I, I don't think that is where the main problem lies really. Because all over Africa, what you are defining for Limpopo is happening all over Africa. What we are rather doing, Bong, you are looking at the vulnerable groups and how to deal with them. That is where the impact lies. And we know now the vulnerable groups of people who are also bridging populations in terms of uh, uh, spreading TB around because every one person with TB will spread it to 15 others in their lifetime. Now, where, where is it incubated? Where are the vulnerable people? Number one, are people in correctional service facilities. And I, I think I once touched that with you last week or so. Sure. Number two, are people in the mining sector. That's why today here, I'm here at Santen, as you have already said, with the deputy president. We have invited ministers of health, mining, and, 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 and labor, as well as finance from the Sotho, they are already here, Swaziland, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, Namibia, uh, Zambia, DRC, we are going to discuss the issue of TB in the mines as it relates to SADC because we have got 500,000 mine workers who, have, who, are, who are exposed. They don't have it, all of them, of course, but they are exposed. And they've got relatives at home 
the relatives are not only in South Africa, they are in the neighboring countries. Okay. The third group are the mining communities, the people who stay around the mines. Now, we have got their numbers, Bongi. This is what we are doing. With money from Global Fund, which we applied for from last year, this year, we are going to screen all the 150,000 inmates in correctional service facilities. We are screening them, especially with the gene expert technology, which can help diagnose TB within a period of, of two, two, two hours, unlike in the past where it was a week or even two weeks. Okay. Two hours now. So we are going to screen them. Any person who enter correctional service facilities for the first time will be, will be screened, and then they'll be screened twice a year once they're inside. And those who are found to be positive, we don't only treat them. We follow their relatives. We follow home where they come from and go to screen the whole family. Okay. The second thing, we are going to screen all the 500,000 mine workers. I, I had Mr. Bridge from the deputy chairperson of the Chamber of Mines saying they are doing a lot. We don't doubt that. The mines are doing a lot, but they are doing a wrong thing. They are doing it to an individual. TB is a community disease, not an individual disease. Only. If you are in a particular mine, you are getting the best treatment in the form of drugs, but there's no follow-up with your community, with your family, with where you come from, it doesn't help. Okay. So that's why we're bringing the mining chamber into this whole equation. So we're going to, to, to screen all these 500,000 mine workers who are in South Africa. From okay. there, we're going to follow them, regardless of where they are. If they are in Lesotho, the Minister of Health in Lesotho is here today going to make agreements with us. If they are in Mozambique, the Mozambicans are here today. They are going to make agreements with us. And, and so we are going to follow them. So at the end of today's summit, we want three outcomes. Number one, we want the common treatment protocol for all the southern countries. That means all the southern countries must be using the same method, same medicine, same updates, same doses, uh, 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 the, the same treatment protocol in other ways. Number two, we want to develop a common database which will be used by all the southern countries. You just press and say, let me see the number of people who have got TB and where they come from. All over SADC, we can do that same thing. The third outcome, we want referral agreements. Who refers to who? When you get a person in the mine who has got TB and from Lesotho, what are the referral patterns? What is my role as a minister in South Africa where the mine is? What is the role of the mining house? And what is the role of the minister of health in Lesotho, for instance? Okay. So, so these are the outcomes from this. But the third group, which we are... By the way, let me the, finish up. After, okay. after Quickly, the Minister, minor, because I need to move on, yes. Yeah, yeah. The third group uh, that we are going to screen are uh, 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 the people in peri-mining communities. According to our figures, they are 600,000. So we are, we are going to spend half a billion rand gold okay. all doing right. all this work. All half right. a billion rand is already there from Global right. Fund. It's budgeted. All that is left is to start the work. Okay. Well, th all right, Minister. We, we, we're going to have to leave it at that. But thank you very much. I know that we have to release you now. Minister Aaron Nutsaledi is the Health Minister. If you want to stay on, Minister, you're more than welcome. And uh, shortly we'll be talking uh, to Maria Mabena, who is the Deputy Commissioner of uh, Health Care Services at uh, the Department of Correctional Services, but uh, I've got to bring you uh, in here, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Nazir Ismail. Let's, uh, let's look at a really uh, broader issue of uh, communicable diseases. I mean, you, you, you work in that area, you understand it very well. You've heard the minister, the three resolutions that are expected to come out of the summit that is underway right now. What do you make of all this? I think uh, the minister is very correct in, in saying that we really need to look for TB and treat TB. 
Uh, and I think uh, the key issues that underlie this is obviously uh, areas where you expect most of your transmission to occur, so you really want to really get the best value for your money. So you target areas where you have a high likelihood of, of transmission. Uh, detect those early. And I think the, the key thing, the, the challenge with TB, as I mentioned, it's uh, spread through the air. Mm. Uh, so ventilation systems, etc., cetera, uh, need to be implemented, but the challenge there is that uh, it uh, requires change of infrastructure, which doesn't happen very rapidly. Uh, but the key uh, strategy that we really need to focus on is being able to detect and treat. Uh, we know that if uh, people are put on appropriate effective treatment, uh, w- within about 48 hours you get roughly about 90% reduction in transmission. Mm. Uh, so, so that's a very important uh, strategy that we would apply. A- and the idea of screening people up front entering into prisons is critical in a sense that they're going into overcrowded conditions and I think that requires some infrastructural changes but it's very difficult to apply rapidly but the ability to identify cases and put them on appropriate treatment is is important. The one challenge that we do face, um, especially in the prisons, and I think the correctional services will bear me out as well, is that when people come in, there's a lot of movement of people in and out of prisons. Mm. Uh, so the key is also, that like, like they're doing with the, with the mining sector, is that the follow-up of patients that have been diagnosed in prison that need to be followed up in the communities as well to ensure that they complete their treatment. And I think what's very important also to highlight in uh, hearing the previous caller as well, uh, she suspected she had TB, she went in and she got tested and she got treated. And I think the key message for us also is that, uh, you know, missing the diagnosis is an important reason why people do die. Mm. And there's many reasons why the diagnosis is missed. And part of it is stigma, which was addressed yesterday uh, by the deputy minister. Uh, but the other issue is also that when we basically treat people, we're not only protecting that individual, but we're protecting the people around them. Uh, and that's the key message is that as the doctor had done, uh, she had basically identified her problem uh, and initiated treatment and therefore protected herself, but also the people around her as well. And I think the, the question is, why did she get infected? And that relates again to undetected diseases. Okay. That's interesting. All right. Uh, Kaya and uh, Hoffmeyer, good morning to you. Hi, Bongi. Thanks for taking my call and good morning. To Go you. ahead. Thank you. No, thank you very much. I think uh, we need to commend what the minister and this government is trying to do in, 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 in trying to prevent tuberculosis spreading in this country, more especially in the mining sector and in the correctional service centers, which is a good work. Of course, very difficult, but it's a very good work. As I'm speaking to you, Bongi, in Hofmeyer, next to Kratok, there is a mobile clinic. We've organized it yesterday as part of the program to make sure that those that are working in the EPWP and CWP are getting tested so that we can and follow this program that says we must know where TB is and treat it where it is. So as I'm speaking to you now, there's about 325 people in one community hall. There are two mobile clinics that are here to come and test them. So as part of this government's program to address this issue, we need to work closely with this government and support this program. The last thing that I want to make quickly is, is I understand the one of the correctional services, but I want to bring to the attention of the minister about small towns like Hofmeyer where you've got a prison where you find that uh, it's only about 20, 30 people at a time at the police station. Uh, I think there should be a plan, you know, between SAPS and the Department of Health to make sure that also those that those inmates that are there waiting trialists are also taken care of. Otherwise, okay. I commend the program of government. Thank you very much.
Thank you very much, Kaya. And then a quick SMS here. Where are employees of correctional services in this scary situation? We are owed money since 2009, but nobody cares, all right? People are exposed to all sorts of danger in prisons, but the employer is shy to thank our hard work. Maybe they will pay us posthumously. Well, that's not why the reason why we called the Deputy Commissioner of Health Care Services at the Department of Correctional Services to talk about the monies. But just briefly, as we introduce you, Miss Maria Mabena, what can you tell us? What is uh, happening at uh, the Department of Correctional Services? Are you screening prisoners as they walk into uh, those uh, big uh, doors there and, uh, and, and bars? Uh, and do you screen them when they walk out? And, uh, good morning, Bodhi, and to the listeners. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. If you remember, in March last year, the Minister of Health, together with the Minister of Correctional Services, launched guidelines for the management of TB, STIs in correctional settings. And one of the activities is the screening of offenders as part of the prevention strategy. As I'm talking to you now, as at the end of the last quarter, we managed to screen 96% of all admissions into correctional services. We also screened 53,900 of offenders who were released, and we also screened 9,800 of those who were released. And the purpose of this screening is to detect early those who may be suffering from TB to ensure that we treat them or we initiate treatment before they are released into the community. Okay, great work there going on at the Correctional Services. Stay with us, Ms. Mabena. Siabulela uh, Kwaka will be coming to you shortly. Uh, a young program developer, uh, uh, Dr. Ismail here, who got infected with uh, XDR, that is. So that one is a bit hectic. He'll be talking to us uh, shortly. Hi, can I update my... Sure. Hi, Mrs. R. Sorry, science project. Okay. Really need to make a call. Go on. Hi, Joe from Telcom. You called 10213? Guys, it's for you. Come get your own broadband so you can do what you're doing at your own homes. Pay a visit to the leader in fixed broadband. Call 10213. Go to telcom.co.za or visit your nearest Telcom store. Conditions apply. My name is Emane Chapar and I am a Gahis of Trust Eric Molodi Scholarship Program beneficiary. Thanks to the program, I received funding for my civil engineering degree. The program helped me further my studies and set a good example for my siblings. Thank you, Eric Molobi, Kahiso, Trust, and South Africa for helping me secure my future. Feel the possibilities. Take a bold step by SMSing bold step to 40064 to donate 20 rand to Kahiso Trust's Eric Molobi Scholarship Program. You add hope, add love, add to the future, take a bold step. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's a seven minutes uh, to nine. Siabulela Kwaka, thank you very much for holding on this uh, long. Really, we really uh, would like to hear your your story. You you are an inspiration. I mean, a, a young guy who's sitting behind his desk working as a program developer. All of a sudden, you have a you have a problem. Just uh, talk us through it. Uh, hi, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it was a very long journey for me, uh, and I don't know how it happened. Uh, uh, I just started coughing. Uh, uh, I started coughing blood. Uh, that's when uh, I realized that uh, I, I was very ill. Because at first uh, I, I was just coughing and thought it was just a fever. 
So uh, when I went to the doctor, in, it was 2011, sometime in December. Uh, I went to the doctor and, and they referred me to the clinic uh, where I was screened and then they found out that I had TB. Uh, I stayed on a normal TB uh, treatment which has to last about six months. Uh, in three months' time, uh, they realized that it was not just normal TB, it was actually XDR TB, which is uh, extremely drug-resistant TB. Uh, that means that there is possibly no cure for for you if you if you've got that that TB as as the treatment is not responding. Uh, so for me it was really bad. I I, I just lost everything. I I, I even that quit my job so that I can look after my health. Uh, I just lost hope in life. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, thank you very much, Sebula Kwaka. We we can't talk some more. Really, I, I'd wished we we could talk some more. But uh, uh, Dr. Isma here. Uh, Another uh, case of uh, misdiagnosis, if there's something like that, really, and and it's a sad story. But how do you deal with it? Okay, so I think the the one positive thing is that uh, in the scenario that we've heard today is that people had symptoms and they went to seek uh, health mm. uh, care, and I think that's the first step in in the pathway. I think in terms of um, what South Africa is doing in terms of being able to screen for drug resistance and deal with uh, drug resistance. So I think uh, w- things have changed quite rapidly and we have a very dynamic program uh, currently in South Africa and compliments to uh, the program managers in trying to implement uh, several technologies and several new treatments. Uh, so on the first front, I think in the past we were often screening with a smear microscopy looking for to a sort of very old and da- outdated technology. Sure. We've moved on to the gene expert which allowed us to get a better diagnosis for TB but importantly to also look for what we call rifampicin resistant TB which is a marker of drug resistant TB uh, and, and that's critical because uh, you know in the past people would normally uh, look for drug resistance and in this case when people are failing the first line treatment uh, and what we've also observed in the surveillance activities that we've undertaken at NICD is that uh, roughly more than half of our MDR cases actually uh, don't have any previous history of, of having TB before that means they have newly acquired drug resistant TB. So the key thing is that we now have a technology that's being routinely applied uh, that'll screen for this upfront. So we save that six months that this person has gone through with inappropriate treat- mm. treatment, which is the first uh, barrier to the problem. Uh, unfortunately, this person has also acquired um, extensively drug resistant TB, which is really a very difficult form of, of TB to manage. Uh, before I even talk about management of extensively drug-resistant TB, I think it's important that, uh, you know, our ability to d- deal with what we call standard or susceptible TB is important because that is often the forerunner to uh, drug-resistant TB. So we really need to get more people onto treatment early enough uh, to protect our and uh, on appropriate treatment to, to get the right uh, benefit. The one important thing that, that he mentioned was that uh, extensively drug-resistant TB it's almost at a point where you find it very difficult to manage because there's not many drugs available. Mm. The good news it's just is managing XDR, you can only manage it. It's, so, it's not curable. So, well, it, we're moving towards the stage of cure. I mean, I think people have been cured of XDR TB, uh, but the, the likelihood is much lower because of the numerous drugs and the side effects, etc. Okay. But there's a new drug being implemented in the what we call the Bedaquil and Access Program. 
I mean, for, for a decade we haven't had a new drug, and we finally have a new drug called Bodaquil, and that's now being applied to people with pre-HDR and HDR in special circumstances. And the out- outcomes look very good. So I think there is a bit of hope towards this, uh, this pathway. And uh, we hope to see more drugs coming up in the near future. Uh, Dr. Nazir Ishmael, I don't know if I'll be able to come back to you. But uh, finally, uh, uh, Ms. Mabena, uh, it's, a, it's an occupational health risk, really, that the warders are exposed to every day. So what, what are you doing at Correctional Services? Very briefly, please, as, as we wrap up, just to make sure that you take care of them as well. Uh, the department has established a chief directory for integrated employee health and wellness which is currently looking at the health of the, especially occupational disease of staff. And staff are being screened at all levels, especially those who are in daily contact with the inmates who are infected with TB or any other communicable disease. And the department is trying to strengthen all the measures that are existing uh, to, to improve on the health and welfare of offenders and, and, and staff in the Department of Correctional Services. So the department is also pleading for the support of other external NGOs who may be of assistance to strengthen what we are doing okay. in the assistance from the Department of Health. All right. We thank you very much, Maria Mabena, Deputy Commissioner of Health Care Services at the Department of Correctional Services. I must also thank you, uh, Dr. Nazir Ismail, pathologist and the head of uh, National Tuberculosis Reference Laboratory at the National Health Laboratory Services. Uh, really, I must uh, thank you very much for coming through. Also, thank the Minister of Health, Aaron Matsualedi, who was uh, with us uh, briefly. We also say thanks to Graham Briggs. Uh, he is the Vice President of the Chamber of Mines and CEO at uh, money gold. So just get tested. Uh, That's uh, the best uh, uh, prevention really that uh, you can uh, um, do. It's uh, 9 o'clock right now. Morning Talk is coming up next year on SFM 104-107. Thank you very much for listening. Let's meet again lunchtime. Bye-bye.